A note. Following advice from work-life imbalance may lead to action being taken by HR, your family, the authorities, or higher powers. Life and Balance, an advice show focusing on workplace and lifestyle issues. Any resemblance to actual advice, living or dead, or actual wisdom is purely coincidental. I'm your monstrous manager, Frank Eastman. And I'm your lovable office companion, Derek Lewis. Today, we'll be discussing performance evaluations in the deep dive before we answer an audience question and an issue from the internet. But first, Time for the daily stand-up. So before we get started, I wanted to point out that we have officially launched our Patreon, and on top of that, for fuck's sake, we have our very first patron. Not twelve, All right. not twelve hours after we launched the Patreon, uh, Chad and Jen Fackler, the amazing, amazing people they are, uh, have decided to become our patrons. They are our inaugural patrons. Patrons of the arts. Or of the farts, as it will. Yeah, I suppose that's probably more accurate. Yep. So, thank you so much to uh, Chad and Jen Fackler. Your your generosity uh, puts you above both man and beast. And uh, check WLICast.com. You can find a link to our Patreon. And support us. We would love it. Yeah, definitely. Also, I want to remind our listeners that we're in the middle of the huge All the Horror event. Uh, in which over 20 podcasts have banded together to bring you 31 special episodes throughout the month of October. Uh, look for hashtag all the horror on Twitter or follow at all the horror 18 and don't miss out on the fun. Uh, we've, we've been on a couple episodes already. Uh, we've got a couple more uh, clips of ours that are, that are going up. Um, yeah, it's been very, very fun. Uh, it's been a lot of fucking work, but it's been very fun. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I think it's turning out to be a wonderful, wonderful event. Lots of really cool podcasts, so make sure to check it out. Derek has been enjoying this so much, he's thinking about doing a Christmas and an Easter. Fucking Christ, no. Oh my <laughs> God. This has been fun, but uh, yeah, th- this will only happen once a year at best. Holy shit. Oh. We did have like, we we had a easier recording schedule lined up for ourselves, and then we were like, "Nah, <laughs> let's just let's just go balls to the wall and record a thousand episodes all in a couple of weeks." Yeah, that uh, in retrospect, not our our finest move, but that's fine. We we made it work for the most part. It, it turned out well. I I've enjoyed it. So. I've enjoyed it too. It's given me an opportunity to talk with a lot of creators that I wouldn't have gotten an opportunity to talk with, sort right. of one on one, and to work with. Like it's been it's been entertaining seeing how other people do what we do, and then <laughs> figuring out how to do that alongside them. <laughs> Although uh, the the couple of guest spots that that have come onto our show. Uh, I'm kind of like Mo in the Simpsons. It's like, please don't tell people how I live. (laughs) (laughs) Just come in. We'll have fun. And then you can leave. 
and not tell anybody about it. <laughs> oh, this is why we don't do like let's play videos out of my recording studio or anything. <laughs> Nobody needs to see. <laughs> Nobody needs to see the sadness that is me. Yeah, I mean, I, I was in a room before, and now I'm in in a, a literal closet. Uh, very, very similar to your situation surrounded by my old clothes. Uh, yeah, it, it's a little sad, but it's, it is functional, which I guess is, uh, pretty much the story of my fucking life. Sad, but functional. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had always hoped it wouldn't come to this, but I am a rapidly approaching middle-aged fat man sitting in a basement talking about... <laughs> Anime and shit. <laughs> and My Little Pony fan fiction. Can't forget that. <laughs> uh, speaking of anime, by the way, that's going to be the deep dive because I Yay! have not, I've not watched a lot of anime in my life okay. until recently. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of had a cultural awareness I thought you were about so, to say awakening. I was well, like, uh, <laughs> you can just burst out of the closet. I'm kawaii. <laughs> Dirk. Notice me, senpai. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can, I can see it now. Holy shit. My oh. sailor Uranus cosplay. <laughs> Oh, that is terrible on so many levels. It oh. is. Oh, but, uh, so like just through osmosis, I'd picked up a lot of stuff like, and, I, and I've watched some Japanese animated things before, right. but not what sure. I would call like a proper long form, long running anime series in the yeah. Dragon Ball Z and that kind of, of vein. Yeah, your typical shoujo, shonen, slice of life type of stuff. Yeah, so I watched Bleach, or not all of it. I was about to say, I know you Some ain't got that time, that kind of time, motherfucker. Like, so how far did you get? <laughs> I watched three seasons of Bleach. And okay, here's so you the made thing, it I think it covered approximately 45 minutes of real fucking time. <laughs> Welcome, welcome to fucking Shonen, my man. Uh, same thing with, uh, what was it, One Piece? I mean, there are like four or five hundred episodes of One Piece. They run for so long, and they have so much filler that, you know, you can watch, you know, 10, 15, 20 weeks worth, uh, or 20, you know, 10, 20 weeks uh, of releases, and nothing happens. Like, that's just... Oh, yeah. They're filling fucking time. No, at one point, someone started a sentence, and I went, no. <laughs> oh, no, she's she's not going to finish that sentence in this episode. <laughs> she, and then there was it. a fucking explosion, and they cut away, and then oh. there's, like, a filler episode with some secondary characters from down the block and around the corner, and I'm just like... I mean, is that not the most batshit crazy thing? Like something suspenseful and crazy happens, and then they then they have a filler episode, as if you're not sitting on the edge of your seat the whole time, not caring a single 
bit about what's on the screen. Like, you just want to get back to what happened. But, like, you know, you'll see some, like, slow-mo of somebody about to get shot by a bullet, and they do a flashback for, like, four or five episodes of shit that you don't need to know. And you're sitting there the whole time, it's like, is he going to get hit by the bullet or not? Like, it's completely insane. And it's a um, terrible experience. Why do people subject subject themselves to this? I I don't know. I I mean, here's the thing. I enjoyed watching it for the experience. Like mm-hmm. we were hanging out, we were watching a thing. It's not new. This is like right. 15 years old or something at this point. So it's not oh, yeah. like you know. I I wasn't spoiled mostly because <laughs> it's been There's so no far. Plot. <laughs> It's been so far off my fucking radar that I've never seen anything. And yeah, there's no plot. Well, there's a plot, but the plot, sure. you could you could kind of condense the plot into about 15 minutes of content. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. The, the thing that gets me, so like, I don't know. I, I'm not a giant, like, cultural professor of Japanese studies or any shit like that. Uh-huh. I've just, as I've said, I've been exposed to a few things over time, and, and I pick up some things through osmosis. And so it was it was just kind of interesting to me that they're doing this whole, like, the the samurai film genre thing, and, and, you know, they're going into, like, this other dimension where everything is uh, sort of turn-of-the-century feudal Japan. And, right. And that's... That's cool. And some of those tropes play out. Right. Um, you know, like the the whole there's a lot of sword fighting tropes that go on in this in this particular anime. Oh yeah. But the <laughs> thing that began rapidly to frustrate me and continue to do so until the end was that it's like trying to watch Cartman and his friends from South Park play some sort of game in the backyard. <laughs> where it's just like I pulled my sword well my sword is bigger my sword's on fire <laughs> my sword's made of ice it defeats fire <laughs> my sword is made of extra super fire that defeats ice and it's like oh god I mean I, I wish that you were wrong but that, that very much so is uh, how it goes like it's it's essentially just, just one upsmanship over and over and over. And the thing is with like really long running series, like that can get to the point where it's like, what the fuck is next? Like, what can you possibly do that is more ludicrous than this? And somehow Japan finds a way. And it is ridiculous. The things that I most enjoyed about it were the characterization and the character portions. Mm -hmm. To be honest, like the interplay between the characters was cool, but it becomes completely unbelievable and right, not, not like it's it's a fucking anime show about dudes <laughs> with super swords, that <laughs> right? Going to alternate dimensions and shit. So there's not exactly a lot to believe here, sure. But it's just one of those things where it's like you're supposed to you're supposed to take it on like, oh, these two people hang out and do stuff and are able to interact in in some shape or another. Mm-hmm. But 15 minutes beforehand, one of them was like, the power contained in my pinky is enough to level 17 city blocks. Right. I just flicked my pinky. And it's like, (laughs) well, how are you supposed to hang out with that dude now? Like, You can't just forget that shit happened. (laughs) Yeah, he just single-handedly nuked Tokyo with, like, an errant fart. And now everybody's like, oh, (laughs) we're just kids going to high school. 
Yeah, there are some there are some extreme redemption arcs that that just happen far too quickly, which is which is odd. Like that, I mean, we're talking about like hundreds of episodes of of anime, and some of those redemptions happen really quick. I, I guess it's not necessarily like if you take it out of the episode context, like as far as like okay, it happened over ten episodes, but like in the timing, uh, like the actual like linear time of the series, it took like ten minutes. That's what I'm talking about. Like that is far too quick a turn for somebody to be like the ultimate enemy, and then all of a sudden turn around and be you know BFFs just just right out the gate. Like that is certainly yeah. a ludicrous concept. In the time that it took someone else to walk across the courtyard, that person has, like, betrayed you, gone to hell, gained superpowers, <laughs> come back, killed your mother, you brought your mom back to life, you've had an argument about it, someone cried, <laughs> they got over being evil, ascended into heaven, became an angel, were reincarnated, Came right. back as a cat, learned a spell to become not a cat anymore, but a person. <laughs> and now we have managed to cross the courtyard in approximately 30 seconds and four and a half years of television. Right. <laughs> See, yeah, that most of the, the anime that I watch, like I, I have watched, like I started watching Bleach at, at one point. Um, I've seen some of the, the bigger ones like Death Note and... Which I will say, like, one thing that, that draws me to an anime, you know, really, uh, really quickly is a kick-ass, wonderful opening opening theme song. And I will say that the first opening, the uh, Orange Range opening for Bleach, is one of the best fucking anime openings ever. Second only to the uh, the, the original opening to Death Note is just the fucking best. So, like... That sets the tone and it gets you kind of in the mood for hopefully a good anime. But mo most of the anime that I enjoy typically is kind of like slice of life. But like they have this kind of tenuous plot device like around like a cooking competition like uh, Shokugeki, Shokugeki no Soma. Like that is literally a, a kid that goes to a famous cooking school and they have these things called Shokugekis, which are cooking competitions like think Iron Chef. And, you know, if you lose, you get expelled. That type of shit. It's ridiculous. It is so stupid. It is so dumb. But uh, but there's something so charming about it. Does it and, take them 15 episodes to make a simple roux? Uh, three episodes. So they condense it down a good bit. But the thing is, like, this is not a... <laughs> <laughs> this is not a long-running long anime. Like, these are, like, fairly condensed seasons. I think they're, like, 13-episode seasons. So they... they do only go through like, you know, two calendar days of, of stuff per season, but they do speed it up a little bit. I, I will say my favorite part of the entire thing, just because of its pure ludicrousness, is the way that they experience food. Now, at some point, you need to look up on YouTube, Shokugeki no Soma uh, clothes explosion or something. I don't I don't know what you would call it. <laughs> <laughs> but Derek, it, this whenever, sounds like it's going to get me in trouble with safe search again. Uh, it's it's tasteful. I'll say that it is gratuitous. It is fan service, but it is tasteful. Mm. <laughs> but no, they the, the food is so good that people's clothes fly off. It's so stupid, but it is so funny. All right. Today on the deep dive, I want to talk about 
performance evaluations at work. So performance evaluations are a necessary evil. Uh, They're a great way to reward the people that are performing well and a way to correct behavior for people who are not necessarily performing that well. One thing I will say as as somebody who you know has been both a you know regular employee and a manager, like they're uncomfortable for both parties. From the employee side, there are few things as anxiety inducing as that as walking into your manager's room or room, blah. Walking into your manager <laughs> if you're night. walking into your manager's room uh to get your performance evaluation, you might want to check with HR first. <laughs> <laughs> But no, walking into your manager's office for your performance evaluation is a nerve-wracking thing. So I'm a little bit biased. On one hand, like the performance evaluation as a process, I don't think most organizations do it very well. So do you think that's because they they aren't a worthwhile exercise, or do you think people mo- mostly just miss the point? I, I think it's a little column A and a little column B, like... Almost immediately after any performance evaluation system is put into place, it becomes going through the motions. And so you sort of have like there's the initial phase where you're trying to spin up a new performance evaluation process when it's really tough. Nobody knows what they're doing and it's difficult to understand. Right. Then people get the hang of it. And approximately 15 minutes later, it has become just going through the motions and nobody really wants to do this anymore. And (laughs) so I don't know exactly how much actual value gets gained. As a manager, I always knew, I knew the employees that were good employees. Right. And I knew the employees that were not good employees. And it didn't, it didn't take a process or a piece of paper to know that really. Right. And, and so often it, it sort of becomes that situation where it's like using a Likert scale for anything when you're measuring like the, the performance of, of a customer service representative or anything or, or your Uber or your Lyft. If it's five, which is supposed to be the best it can get, right. that means it was okay. And anything right. less than that, you might as well was... have shot their parents. Like <laughs> you, your Uber driver lit you on fire, and you got a three and a half stars. Like <laughs> right, because and that's how you know sort of human nature goes. Like nobody wants to necessarily give the one, and so the rankings tend to fall out. That it's like if you're getting all fives, then you can continue forward, and if you're not getting all fives then your performance is bad. And at that point, it's a binary. Why do we have a five-point scale when it's actually a binary that's just one and a really huge zero? Right. And, And I think performance evaluations tend to fall into that same range where it's like, even if you've got the 360 performance evaluations and stuff like that, when you're trying to do a quantitative measure of a qualitative subject like this, right? it it just kind of falls down into that we could solve it with one of those checkbox things from elementary school. Do you like me? Check, <laughs> Check one. Yes or no. Yes or no. Yeah. Okay. So if they're not really achieving the goal that they're setting out to, to achieve, you know, there, there has to be some method of, you know, whenever the raise pools come around, like there has to be some method of kind of quantitatively, even though it's a difficult, like you said, putting quantitative, quantitative measurements on a qualitative feeling um 
know, there has to be some way to kind of justify to HR and to people that might get upset about something uh, why you gave somebody a certain raise. And, and the thing is, like, if you do away with that, if you no longer have reviews, you kind of are to the point where it's like everybody gets the same raise because you can't justify giving anyone more or less. So, well, I mean, so, most companies already don't reveal what kind of raises they give people and heavily right. discourage their employees from discussing the subject. In Even America, though they can't is, stop them from it. They can't, but it's a humongous taboo in American business culture, and people will retaliate against you. Like, Absolutely. they won't say that they're retaliating against you, but enough people have been retaliated against for discussing that... People know almost on an instinctual level that you don't hang out and ask what you're making per hour or what, you know, you're making as a yearly salary. Right. Specifically so that they can, you know, pay certain people less or pay certain people more. And it's not necessarily based on who does better at their job. It is based no. almost entirely on who was the better negotiator coming into the position and who has more favor with the powers that be. Right. And that, that is absolutely true. And, you know, I've seen multiple companies that have, have used, you know, essentially their, their secretive hiring or raise practices to um, essentially keep people far below a pay grade that they deserve. Um, and I know that sometimes whenever you get into a job and you've been there for 10 years, you, if you don't get promoted, like if you don't get those big jumps, then you may not be, you, you're probably not keeping up with the rest of the company as far as the, the, the hiring salaries. But one of the most uncomfortable places that I worked, but it, it was really kind of out of, out of a positive thing is that when I worked at the university, we were public employees, we were state employees. So all of our, all of our pay, even, I mean, literally down to our paychecks, were, were public knowledge. So there is a, you know, there is a, a site for the university that you can go to and see exactly what the paycheck of each person is. And so there were a lot of very interesting conversations that came out of that because essentially we were talking about, you know, okay, you know, we need to up our, uh, we're not able to hire good people. We need to up our, our rate that we hire people at. Like we need, we need a higher starting salary and they're like, well, we can't do that. And I'm like, why not? It's like, well, because there are a lot of people that get paid that, that don't get paid that much. And I was like, hmm. So I went back and looked and there were some people that had been at, you know, at the university in a, a, a technical role for 10 years and were making 15 grand below what a junior would come in at and just had never, they just never checked. Like they just never cared to look and you know, it took, I mean, I kind of had to slip a couple notes under a couple doors, but eventually they're like, holy shit, we're getting underpaid. And so, you know, it uh, eventually was, you know, the rising tide raises all ships and everybody got, everybody got their promotion or raise or adjustment they needed, but that took a long time. So, so let me ask this when you're, when you are receiving a review in your opinion, what's worse a bad review that you didn't deserve or a glowing review that you didn't earn? I mean, to some extent, every review that I've gotten has been some mixture of the two. Okay. 
Because as I said, it's it's very much that binary on a on a Likert scale kind of situation in, in pretty much every single one that I've been in. There is some scorecard that measures you on some things from you know, between two values. Right. And it's always like you do great here, you do great here, you do great here, all of these are fives, everything you do is great, everything you do is great. But then there's one or two things that even though you're doing just as well on those as you have been doing on anything else, they score you not bad, but middle of the pack. On. Right. And that's the, we're not going to give you a raise excuse item. Right. <laughs> Where it's like, you're a fantastic and glowing and superlative employee. Most of the time, except where it matters, if you ask for a raise, then we'll point right. to this portion of the proceedings to say, well, you know, if you did more, <laughs> maybe then. Yeah. Uh, if you look at your review, you can see that you, you drink too much of the free soda. And I think, <laughs> I think you've off offset any raise that you could have gotten. I'm sorry. And, and so, you know, the, the whole reason that I asked that, that question is, you know, I've gotten a couple of bad reviews far but way back in the day you know mostly to do with like retail and things like that where uh where things are a little bit less respectful overall and that felt like shit but it's like it kind of gives you this i don't know it gives you this this attitude of oh yeah it it really is me against the man type of thing like i'm my my boss gets a dollar i get a dime so i'm gonna go poop on company time type of thing (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, there have been a couple of times where I received a glowing review where I, I was doing a good job, but, you know, maybe some some projects didn't pan out the way that they should have. Uh, maybe there there were some opportunities that were missed that that really could have benefited the company or uh, or our team a lot better than they did. And, you know, then you know I expected that to be reflected on my review. But you know then I get this like overtly like glowing review that actually demeans it even more because I, I think that if I, if I get just a glowing review, it does in uh, on some level make me feel, you know, some pride. But then once I read more into it, I'm like, you know, that, that doesn't really sound like me. Like, I don't know if he confused me with someone else when that happened. Uh, but you know, that doesn't sound like something I did. Very um, often. Those are just kind of like, eh, you didn't fuck up. And that's that's the problem. Like, because it's such a binary, if your performance was really, eh, other people did worse. So, <laughs> good job, Cookie. Like, <laughs> they've got to give you this enormously glowing review because anything less than a five is getting shit on. That's a good point, actually. I just put, like, a gold star <laughs> but that doesn't show up very well on the copier to be honest yeah but i mean it looks really good in person it does and that's really that's really what you want you want that you want that effect to happen in person so that you see their eyes light up and they're happy which i know is not something that's the one time a year that you allow people to be happy <laughs> and then when they're like oh this is so great does this mean i get a raise i'm like I spent all the money on stickers. <laughs> it's real gold. <laughs> the, 
These stickers were so expensive. We actually have to lay you off. <laughs> Three people are losing their jobs because I ordered too many stickers. Please, st stop doing exemplary work. We can't afford to lose any more people. All right, you want to go to a question from the audience? This actually segues well into a question from the audience. Nice. Okay, so I just started on a new project at work with crazy deadlines. We do appraisals. So we have a new client with a little over 4,000 units to appraise. And they told the customer that we could get it done by the end of the year. We had two guys working on it, and they're averaging about 10 a day right now. So oh, they're adding two new guys to the project, me and one other, and are still trying to make this timeline. <laughs> My boss came up to us yesterday and said, all right, we need everyone to get their average up to 30 a day. And as long as you're getting at least 20 a day done, I can get overtime approved for us. I had to ask him, so if we're falling behind, we can't get overtime, but as we get closer to the goal, we can. Yes, that's right, was his response. So my question for you guys is, how soon should I be posting my resume? <laughs> oh, it's already too late, buddy. You should have been already doing that. Oh, my God. You see this a lot in a lot of fields where, like, overtime pay is a reward as opposed to what overtime pay should really be is to recompense them for working them beyond what should be asked. Right. I have I have several problems with this this whole situation. Uh, I mean, first of all, I have a little bit of a an issue not necessarily being all that familiar with overtime because, you know, I've, I've always been salaried uh, for better or worse. And, you know, although that means I, I don't often work overtime um, when I do. And, you know, no matter how extreme it gets, if, if I am forced to work, you know, nights and weekends for a couple months in a row, that could be, you know, 300, 400 hours of, of overtime. Um, I don't get paid extra for that. So that that kind of limits my ability to understand like the the whole calculation in their head of like so so you've been doing 10 if you can double the amount that you're outputting to 20 then we can we can warrant getting overtime to then possibly get to 30 like that is a really fucked up calculation <laughs> that they're trying to that they're trying to essentially manipulate like like they're they're being oh, yeah. manipulative in in how they're trying to to swing that like that is like that is insane yeah i mean i know this is this is sort of my work history coming to play like i understand the economics behind exactly what they're doing here right they're bullshit but i understand them <laughs> <laughs> it's bullshit i know yeah, I mean, this is this is the kind of shit that you're going to run into a lot with with these sort of situations where it's like, and and what happened was mm -hmm. somebody made an estimate, and that somebody was not the person that was doing the work, and that often yep. happens. And then a client was told a number that was not a real number; <laughs> it was a pretend number. It was, it was a pretend number. That <laughs> number still has some poo on it, where someone pulled it out of their ass. <laughs> oh 
But now the client has seen that number and they think that's a real number and they're going to hold everyone in the organization to that number. And right. now we're completely fucked if we can't make that number. Regardless right. of whether or not we ever could have made that number, now we have to make that number. Right. And the other part of this that that we see all the time in our field is that, you know, essentially they're they're trying to two mother, you know, one mother can have a, a baby in nine months. Two mothers, ten mothers, it doesn't matter. That baby is still going to take nine months. Now, this isn't quite the case. Like, there is a a return on the number of people that you add to this project, but they are trying to to throw more people at it specifically just to you know meet a linear goal. Which you know, it, it is kind of funny that essentially they're you know they're talking doing twenty a day, and they have to do you know four thousand in you know sixty days. So. I mean, you know, they, they double it and they still expect it to be, to actually hit their numbers instead of, you know, what they should do is triple it or quadruple it or, or whatever. They're, they're playing some back of the napkin bullshit bath to try to get it to the, the figures they want. And they think that just because they added more people, oh, now we're going to hit our target. It's like, no, like, oh yeah, you actually have to do the math and make sure that it checks out. Like... But people cost money, and overtime costs money. And so the more that we push to get this done, the more money it costs, which means the whole project is less valuable to the organization because I'm sure they gave a fixed bid for this. Absolutely. And so (laughs) it was like, we'll get it done by January 1st, and you'll have to pay us. I have no idea what the, the scale of the cost is here, but I'm thinking in the couple millions of dollars. Probably. And and now they're like, hmm, the harder we work these guys, the more they might get overtime. So we can tell them you're limited to 40 hours, but then we're not going to get the job done and we're not going to get paid. Right. Or we can let them overwork themselves, have to pay them overtime and might get it done. <laughs> then we make less money. Right. And and that's sort of how this whole thing goes. And that's right. like, if if this were me... Honestly, this is one of those major warning signs to get the fuck out. Absolutely. Now, there may have been some other things in play, like like maybe the original timeline, because I've been on this before. I've, I've been in a, a project where essentially a, a hard deadline was committed to that was certainly attainable. But then the manager forgot to tell anybody about it for a year. And, you know, we had 18 months to do the project. He forgets about it. And all of a sudden we have six months to, to, to do the project and we're still on the hook, you know, for that deadline because we already spent some of the money and we haven't worked on it yet. Oh and yeah. That they're is good at spending the money, not necessarily getting the work done, but they're exactly. good at spending the money. And it is so terrifying. And, and that was when I was uh, kind of in my management phase and I was told, okay, we have six months to do an 18 month project. And, um, after, after my brain stopped, you know, smoking <laughs> and my panic settled, you know, then we were able to work with the client and, and, you know, explain, um, not the truth <laughs> because that was not, Ooh, buddy, that was not an acceptable answer saying that somebody just forgot you, uh, forgot about you after spending like 400 grand of your money. And now we have less time. That's not an acceptable answer. However, we were able to work with the client and we were able to, to kind of smooth it out to a, a one year timeline 
from the end of the project saying that there were some additional complexities that hadn't been discovered until implementation, uh, which is a fancy way to say we didn't plan very well. So now we're going to be late. (laughs) We fucked it all up. Like we got there and we turned it on and the whole thing just caught fire, fell into the ocean and sunk to the bottom. We got in there and, and we just fucked it to death. Like just fucked it straight to death. Uh, I mean, I worked at an organization once and we had issues with responsiveness to outages and issues. Right. And so the client came and paid the organization as a whole multiple six figures. Like, Ooh. it was it was good money that they paid the organization to fix the right. problem. Because essentially, the, you know, the client was like, this is unacceptable. Our shit keeps falling down and catching on fire and nobody fixes it for hours on end. And the company said, well, we're going to need more money in order to make a more robust uh, reporting and response solution for you. Okay. And, and then charged them, you know, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars and bought a cell phone and gave it to me and said, you're on call now. <laughs> and I said, how long am I on call? And they said all the time forever. <laughs> Oh, and I was like, oh, do I get paid any of this hundreds of thousands of dollars that we got paid? And they're like, no, nah, we already spent that on something else. <laughs> so they bought a they bought a machine that came in this this big uh, black box that, you know, you they 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 feed a problem into. And on the other side comes a solution <laughs> when really they just trapped Frank in a box. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they occasionally slide some Cheetos under the door very surreptitiously as to not let on that it is a living human inside the box. <laughs> <sighs> that was that was a terrible, terrible job, and it didn't get any better from that. But that's that is the kind of horseshit, though, that you have to look at that and go, hmm, nope, I need to get out because what it demonstrates is poor decision-making skills at the highest levels of the organization. Absolutely. If Which someone, is terrifying. Oh, yeah. It's terrifying, and it happens all the time. Like, the biggest surprise to me about most industries in America and probably the world is how raving lunatic incompetence can stand at the top of the pyramid <laughs> and not fall down for years on end. I'm having trouble laughing at that because of how true it is. Like, uh, yeah, I know it's not. It's not necessarily funny. It's funny in the <laughs> ha ha black comedy. You know, <laughs> stare long enough into the abyss, and the abyss stares into me, and then we go get ice cream together. Kind of, you know, right. <laughs> I laugh as my soul dies. <laughs> but no, so uh question asker, which uh Super Listener Chad. Oh yeah, Super Listener Chad. Well, uh you have the wonderful sense to write into us for advice on this. So what that tells me is that you, the next the next job that you apply for, they're gonna see how much sense you have and they're gonna hire you. <laughs> And they're going to fuck you over. And then we're, you're going to do it again. <laughs> and and the again next one, until you die. Until That's, you <laughs> die. But each and every step, you're going you're gonna to learn more. <laughs> and hopefully and make more yourself, money since now, like, you're, you're it. You're our, 
You're our patron. <laughs> I thought we were being like, go get him, Chad. You you can do it you know, to, to better yourself. But no, this is a self-serving. Well, Chad's got mouths to feed. Pretty <laughs> ours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. No, Chad, you are far more to us than a patron. You are our best and only patron, but don't let that weigh on you. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't let the pressure get you down, uh, especially now in this time in which you should be looking for a new job, because right. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you need all the optimism that you can get. <laughs> It'll be fine, man. It's, it's going to be fine. You guys will hit that date. It's not a problem. Here, here's the part of the podcast where we lie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, just keep working at it, guys. It'll be fine. And they're like, why are you putting bags into the car? <laughs> <laughs> no reason. Y'all get back to work. <laughs> oh, God. I am certainly not burning the rest of the building down for the insurance money. <laughs> to pay back this client who we are definitely not going to deliver for. Oh, goodness. Uh, I want to get to an issue from the internet. <laughs> All right. The title for this one is, should I accept a job offer from a poorly reviewed company? Uh, that is from anonymous. So what are we going to call him? Franzica. Franzica. That's good and believable. So Franzica says, I'm a recent grad, almost a year out of school, and I don't have too much experience. So I've been having trouble finding work. I finally got an offer from a company, but has horrible reviews on Glassdoor. Basically, they tend to hire recent grads or desperate people and underpay them, have extremely poor management, and no room to climb any sort of career ladder. I'm thinking I could just work for the company for like a year to get my foot in the door and then switch to a better paying job once I have more experience. Or should I keep searching for a better job now so that I don't have to spend a year in misery? Oh. <sighs> Sweet child, come walk with me. <laughs> uh, sit down, old old Frankie's lap. We got some explaining to do. I've been here, and in fact, I worked for this company. I'm sure of it. <laughs> it doesn't get better, <laughs> and you'll never uh, climb out of the hole. I mean, it that just that's... sucks all the life force out of you. And you don't make enough money. <laughs> and that's the thing, is that this is really, this is kind of a gambling situation. Essentially, you can't, you can't get an entry-level job without experience, but you can't get experience without an entry-level job. So, you know, when you, <laughs> when you look at the entry-level job postings and they say requires two to three years of experience, there's, there's literally no way to climb out of that. So... Um, I see where they're coming from with this because you know, you're in for a bad time, like you out the gate, like at least, at least it's not even being sugarcoated. Like this is <laughs> Glassdoor is being honest to you. And if you come in with that perspective, at least it's probably not going to be a whole lot worse than what they're saying. So as long as you can, you can keep those goals in mind of I'm either going to come in and uh, I mean, I guess you could come in and, ch and try to change things, or you can say, I'm, I know that I need, I need experience. I need to, to build a resume. So I'm going to submit myself to this 
to try to get, you know, the, the next leg up that I need. Are you saying that it's too much of a gamble to make? In college, I decided that I needed to make some money so oh. that I could better, you know, pay the bills and the rent and the things like that while also spending the exorbitant sums that are required to go to college. Right. And so I got a job for a period of time as waitstaff. And I am temperamentally ill-suited <laughs> to the service industry, Derek. <laughs> you may have met me. Oh, God. When and you say it like that, it makes it makes so much sense. Like, like I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just thinking, oh, yeah, that that is... For normal people, being in the service industry is a bad time. And then the two and two clicked. Frank Eastman in a in, in a service uh, service industry role, and then the light bulb came on, and it got real funny for a second. <laughs> and here's the thing: I realized that I would work a shift and pull down maybe eighty bucks. Right. And the person who was good at the job next to me, because, you know, this is the tipping economy and all of that, the person next to me who was actually personable would pull down, you know, not quite twice that, but a decent percentage more than I was. Right. But then I was so miserable and so <laughs> worn down and so beat up and so completely tired of dealing with people's shit that I would walk literally across the street to the bar <laughs> spend $80 and spend 90 <laughs> no oh no and rapidly I realized I couldn't afford to keep this job <laughs> <laughs> oh so what I'm saying is, if they pay you shit and it's a terrible job, your rapid descent into alcoholism will probably <laughs> financially ruin you, where you were planning to sort of dance on the devil's bowstring and try <laughs> to make it, you're going to fall right off the side into the bottle of Johnny Walker. One of the things that I actually am... And it, and it sounds stupid to say this. I am kind of disappointed that I never actually got to be a, like a server or a waiter. You know, I've always, I, I was in the kitchen and then I did like retail, like it was sales and things like that, but I never got to be a waiter because the thing is like, I am, I am so fucking like, you're pers unhealthily I'm, personable. That's what I was about to say. I am, I am just unbearably personable and I, you know, I feel that I could kind of clean up on, on tips and things like that. I, I think that that is definitely something that I could do and do really well. But, you know, I also probably around that time would have discovered my whole like social battery issue where after I am personable for eight, 10, 12 hours, however long a shift at that per particular establishment would be, then I had nothing left. Or maybe it would have strength strengthened that social muscle. Maybe we could have we could have both been doing service work together, Derek, and we could have had a podcast where <laughs> two waiters sit in a bar and drink too much and bitch about customers. Oh, if only we had, Frank. Who knows what type of high-quality yucks could be had from that arrangement. All right, Derek. Want to punch the clock? 
Yeah, let's punch that clock. If you like us, god damn. They're not going to be at that rate, Derek. <laughs> Let me moisten. <laughs> no. <laughs> not again. <laughs> not again. <laughs> if you'd like to send us a question to answer on air, please send them to questions at WLICast.com. If you want to connect with us, you can go to WLICast.com, where you'll find all of our social media links, uh, also links to our store, our brand new Patreon, and other ways you can support the show. Speaking of which, there is nothing better for growing our audience than word of mouth. And that means that if you like the show, please share us with the people that you know. Uh, Tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell a frenemy. This has been the Work Life and Balance Podcast. I'm Frank Eastman. I'm Derek Lewis. And with that, I think we're going to have to transfer you. It's a new Stephen King novel. Moister. <laughs> Not again. We thought we'd taken care of this 20 years ago. 